UFOs, Bigfoot, paranormal input. Go ahead now, get mystical. Mystery and magical. UFOs, not typical. Bigfoot, not typical. You ask me why I'm skeptical. I say questions are questionable. Is the truth alien to you? Alien to get my message through. Aliens might message you. Aliens are sliding through. The wild signal we're plotting to. Algorithms they find is true. Typical. Skeptic. Shut Got no time for no petty germs, pandemic, a pandemic turn, horror still in Amityville, Bayonet in Gettysburg, Mothman, TNT, Factory, Red Eyes, Blue Dog Man, howling in the street, I'm typically skeptic of what I see, Voodoo Hoodoo in New Orleans, Thunderbird, Swamp Thing, is it real, I was wondering, typical, skeptic, show, typical, skeptic, show. recording ladies and gentlemen thank you for joining me for another episode of the typical skeptic podcast i have a fascinating guest with me tonight um i have with me dr joanna kujawa and she is the author of mary magdalene and the other goddesses of eros and secret knowledge um let me just read you a little bit about what the book and this is amazing i think you guys are going to love this it says how is the lineage of the goddess now resurfacing in our collective experience of spirituality dr jo uh joanna uh uh, did I pronounce you? Kujava, the author of other goddesses and secret knowledge. She's a scholar, spiritual detective who received her BA and MA from the Pontifical Institute of Medieval Studies in Canada and her PhD from Monsas University in Australia. As an active academic for over 20 years, Joanna uses her scholarly training to investigate spirituality and sexuality topics writing for academic publications on spiritual travel, plus had her short studies and essays published in various media and prestigious anthologies, including Best Australian Stories, the Australian Broadcasting Corporations, and uh, she is on the editorial board of the International Journal of Goddess Studies. And her website is www.joannakujawa.com. And uh, I want to thank her for coming on the show. Uh, thank you for coming on. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much. And thank you for inviting me. I have heard about your show before you invited me. So I, I watched some episodes. So pleasure to be here. Um, I wanted to, I guess, start off with, I guess, the main topic of the book, which is Mary Magdalene. And I mm -hmm. thought of a, an interesting topic to get into. Um, and it's about the knowledge. And, and that's, um, can you talk about the... Uh, Mary Magdalene and the egg turning. But wait, wait, before we get into that, can you give the the reader, the, the audience, an idea of what the book is about and, and, and all that first? I think that'd be the best thing to do. Okay, thank you for asking about this because the full title of the book is actually The Other Goddess, Mary Magdalene and the Goddesses of Eros and Secret Knowledge. And the reason I picked the title The Other Goddess it is because she is not considered normally a goddess and she's kind of on the margins, you know, of all of Christian religion and, and so on. Because I originally grew up in Poland, so that's why my accent, if people wonder, I live in Australia now, but I'm originally from Poland. And, you know, I was always exposed to the images of Virgin Mary, but I also saw the image of Mary Magdalene, which seemed very mysterious and yet profound and somehow connected to a higher and more secret knowledge, but also to sexuality. And so that's why the other goddess, so it's play on the word like the other, 
kind of suppressed goddess, right? The goddess from the margins that perhaps has some secret knowledge for us that can help us with the ascension or with spiritual evolution or however, getting out of a matrix, however you want to call it. And somehow I believe that on purpose, she was pushed back to the margins. You know, she was vilified as a prostitute, although we now know, and even the Catholic Church admitted that it is not true that she was a prostitute. And if you ever want to discuss it, we can go there. But it is a fact now that even the Catholic Church admitted that she was not a prostitute. So I thought that it is very interesting that she was so vilified. You know, and I wondered why, right? Why was she so vilified? You know, maybe she actually has something to offer. And so I would just go straight to the question you asked after this introduction. So uh, in at the beginning of part two of my book, if you don't mind, I would just show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure. We have a goddess in part two. I discussed how I was invited to go on an archaeological trip with two researchers to Jerusalem. And there, you know, they took me to, uh, I don't even remember why, but they took me to the Church of Mary Magdalene, which was Eastern Orthodox Church on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. And there I saw the painting of Mary Magdalene, which is apparently quite common in, in, in Eastern Orthodox tradition, when she stands there dressed in red, first of all, very royal looking, not none of this penitent harlot look, but, you know, very empowered and she has an egg extended in her hand and uh, according to a medieval legend and mind you it's just a legend right where she apparently after resurrection went to rome to see an emperor i think emperor tiberius to prove to him that resurrection is possible and when he said no it is not possible he said if resurrection is possible this uh, egg in my hand will turn red and according to the legend the egg turned red so you know as usually legends you cannot take them at you know uh, face value literally, literally right you yeah. just have to look at the message behind it so i started to ask my myself this question you know what does this gesture actually with her hand extended like that with an egg really mean and means, and uh, I was thinking that it somehow connects her, not only with the lineage of other goddesses, but also with secret knowledge, with alchemy also, uh, we can discuss it if you want, which is a form of secret spiritual knowledge as well. And the mystery between passages between uh, uh, life and death. And from my research, if you want to ask a question, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I, I just wanted to tell you, I thought what, what is interesting is she's holding out the egg, right? And this is why I want to ask this question. I'm familiar with the Anunnaki, right? Like, if yeah. you look at the, the statues of the Anunnaki, sometimes people would ask, they're um, holding out a pine cone. There's like a statue of an Anunnaki holding out a pine cone. And it almost looks like a lizard type head, but that doesn't matter. It's here or there. But the, 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 what it was was the pine cone also symbolized knowledge like that secret knowledge being passed. But absolutely, I'd love to talk about alchemy as well. And But, but what do you think of that? Do you think that's a common theme? This, this egg, the pine cone, the egg, the, both gestures symbolizing the secret knowledge that we're missing out on? You're spot on with us because whether it is an egg, it is some kind of fruit, it's some kind of offering, maybe some kind of warning, because I actually have learned, you know, one thing about writing a book, you write a book, you think you've done with it, and then you learn 10,000 more interesting <laughs> things about the topic. But actually, you act 
completely spot on with the Anunnaki. Because my, the first thing when I saw this image of Mary Magdalene that came to my mind was goddess Nimna, which Nimma, is the yeah. Anunnaki goddess, you know, the, the one that according to the uh, Anunnaki tradition, at least she played with the human DNA and she was like the good one, basically, right? Because she was the mother, Anun they call her the mother of humanity, you know? That's right. That's right. And we know that if you go into the Anunnaki, they were good and they were bad. A little bit like gods from different traditions, a bit to be like aliens, you know, good and bad and the same here. So she was the good one. So the first representation of Nimna, which is like 4,500 years old, and this is the one that we know of, that could be earlier from Sumer, is she sits, you know, by the tree of life of knowledge on a throne. There is an upright serpent behind her, which could, some people argue in esoteric traditions, could symbolize the serpent, could symbolize either, uh, you know, awakened life energy or Kundalini, as it is called in, in esoteric Hinduism and in Tantra, or in Western tradition, that perhaps it's a helix of a DNA, right? Because it, it, it's the, the serpent, you know, the serpent that is present everywhere in the Bible and everywhere and everybody interprets it differently. And with her hand extended, just like Mary Magdalene, she passes the fruit, the, the something, you know, the egg, the something that is in her hand to a, a male figure, which is a human, you know, she's slightly bigger because she's a goddess, right? And she passes this truth to her, to him. So I thought that's interesting because this is a very ancient image. And here we have Mary Magdalene, who is basically portrayed in the same way, you know, who's been vilified in, in, in institutional religions. And I thought, are there any other goddesses that are portrayed like that in the same way? So I was looking then to goddess Inanna, which is slightly uh, younger goddess from Assyria. And goddess Inanna is portrayed in the same way. In fact, very often also she's portrayed with a serpent in her hand. You know, like she's the ruler of a serpent, which means she's the ruler of civilization also, all the rules of civilization, the ruler of knowledge. Quite What's interesting. interesting about that is she, um, there's a tablet, there's a Sumerian tablet which connects her and Enki, and Enki's like her uncle, and she's going to Enki because she's trying to get the tablets of, they call them the MEs, whatever that means. I think it yeah. basically means the tablets of destiny, and she tricks yeah. Enki into drinking alcohol, and they drink, she gets Enki drunk and takes these tablets of destiny, and then he has someone go after her. That's how the story's portrayed, right? I, I don't know That's if you right. ever, it's interesting, right? Yeah, it is. It's very interesting, but also, so that's true that he, in different, you know, because these are mythological stories. So it, again, we read them in a, not in a literal sense. So some people say it was uncle. It was, some people say it was a grandfather, you know, but she's definitely one of the Anunnaki as well. And the serpent is also supposed to represent the reed and the letter for her is also the reed, which is the portal between death and life, which is Can also symbolizes the tree of life. Can you explain that a little bit more, the, the, the portal mm -hmm. between death and life? That's really interesting to me. I think mm -hmm. that that's like, that's, that's deep. That's, that's, uh, that's real deep. Yeah, I really am. I, 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 I am really fascinated by this because all we know is the reed or the serpent or the tree with the goddess next to it. And also in, in on Crete, you know, the, the, the goddesses Island. are portrayed with a, yeah, uh, with, with a serpent. This is supposed to symbolize, uh, they call it axis of the world, which means the center of the world, interestingly portrayed by either a serpent or an egg, which 
create a portal between death and life or between dimensions. I love that. I love that. Yeah, I love it too. And I thought, yeah, like we don't know much about it, but what a possibility. And that's why they were so powerful and that's why uh, they were worshipped. And then I was thinking, and okay, so 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 this is Inanna. And she was like the most powerful goddess at, at, at the time, goddess Inanna. And yes, she kind of tricked. It's very good that you reminded me of this by uh, by her uncle or grandfather, Enki. And he, when she also was forced to go to the underground, she was tricked then herself. So there was lots of trickery in the stories. And then she she had to uh, ask for his help and he did help her. So she managed to resurrect herself with his help. So they have a complex relationship. But for the story here, it is important that she tricked him. He, she got him drunk and she got the tablet of destiny or civilization or life from him. It's called me, M-E. You yeah. know, and we are guessing what it means. So I thought, okay, so what is it to the story? So there are certain elements. There's a trickery, there's a betrayal, there's going, going on the grant, which is mean dying and resurrecting, passage between death and life, dimensions. And is there another goddess? And yes, and found, you know, the very famous goddess of Egypt, uh, Isis. She is portrayed with the same symbolism because they're actually the famous Ankh, you know, like that people love to see. So it's actually Egyptian Ankh, yeah. Yeah, it is apparently a combination of a couple of things. One, it is um, the serpent, right? Because it's kind of, uh, you know, that does this kind of circular thing at the end. The tree of life and wisdom. And the way it is done, because uh, Egyptians really loved that symbolism, at the end here, it also portrays like a cross, which later carries on to Christianity. You know, the ankh has this kind of thing, like a serpent and tree. And, and then the cross, so the Christian cross actually comes, comes from this, which is also really when you think of the Christian story, something about moving between dimensions and death and life, right? This is what resurrection really is. For me, resurrection is moving to another dimension, not to, you know, coming back to life in a body. So, so this is goddess Isis, and she also has the same, absolutely the same story as, as Inanna here, which basically she had to trick God Ra to be able to do also to you know to 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 get her higher magic because goddess Isis is associated with the higher magic. So what is the higher magic? Regular is, magic. I have a question. Is that mm -hmm. is the higher magic also the sex magic, or is that completely different, or could that mm -hmm. be considered similar? Uh, so actually, higher sex magic is a part of higher magic, but it's not higher magic can be different from sex magic. So sex okay. magic is part of higher magic, but it could be something else also, right? I mean, so yeah. just higher magic has certain, uh, you know, tools, and sex can be one of the tools. Yeah. But basically, lower magic is basically this is what Wicca does, uh, playing with a natural element. So there's always a pay, you know, like you, you get this, but you have to pay for this some other ways, right? There is yeah. this kind of cause and effect, cause and effect. When higher magic, it is like you go straight to the divine design and you rearrange it. It's like almost like on a cosmic level. So you can do it through the use of particular language, which is different uh, ritual formulas that you know i give some of them in the book from you know other people's research also and or, or you know you can use also sexuality for this but it's a very complex topic we can move to this later so she was using higher magic and she but she stole this higher magic from gotra exactly like 
you know, uh, Inanna did. It's just mm -hmm. the names of the goddesses change, the names of gods change because it's different culture. So it was like trans transported to a different culture. And then we move, you know, to Mary Magdalene. And by the way, all of these goddesses have se sexual undertones, right? So they were, for example, Inanna. We don't know much about Nimna. We just know Anunnaki and so on, right? But Inanna... Uh, you know, definitely a very kind of uh, uh, sexy goddess. She had her partner with whom what she used what I would call sexual alchemy. His name was either Tumus or Dumuzi, depending who translates the text. You know, we know that Isis, through magic, managed to, uh, sexual magic, managed to resurrect her husband temporarily enough to con conceive a child, right? Horrors with him and so on. And here we have Mary Magdalene, who... You know, the sexual element was kind of passed over, but in a very negative way, not in a powering way, but in a negative way, because they made a harlot out of her rather than, you know, yeah. goddess of secret uh, erotic knowledge. But strangely enough, even in Christianity, she was necessary somehow for the resurrection of Jesus, because she is the first, even in the canonical gospels, you know, to notice, uh, you know, to see him resurrected. And if I can just digress for a moment, so she's one in the line, you know, lots of the symbolism, because, you know, if you read, first of all, we have to remember that the original Bible was actually even the canonical Bible, which is the one that people read nowadays, not the Gnostic text, was written in Greek. So when it was translated to Latin, the moment when Jesus and Mary Magdalene see each other at the moment of resurrection, so to speak, it's translated to nolimia tangere, which means do not touch me, which is kind of, you know, negative, And it was interpreted as, you know, don't touch me, woman. When in original Greek, it's nemu aptu, which means do not hold on to me because I have not ascended yet. That's so deep. he was obviously going through some kind of uh, alchemical process, right? From a kind of raw biological state to another state. And he's telling her, look, you know, just be careful, right? Because I'm still in metamorphosis, so to speak. So she is present there as well. So I think that these goddesses are somehow connected. And if you allow me to speculate a little bit. Wait, can, can I ask you yeah. an important yeah. question? I'm so sorry. And you're, you're on fire, by the way. This is amazing. You're, I love that you know all the ancient texts. You're a perfect guest for my show because I talk about this stuff a lot. And I just love your knowledge. And you're on fire, by the way. So that just give you a compliment. <laughs> but I just wanted to ask you, is it true that Mary Magdalene came from the Temple of Isis and sex magic? Is that true? Or mm -hmm. is that a speculation? Well, we never, you know, this first, okay, so that's actually excellent question. So because I'm also a scholar, I don't want to say something is true or not. I can say what is possible and I, it is definitely possible. By why I cannot say it is really true because this knowledge about all of these goddesses and especially about Mary Magdalene, I always say it was hijacked. So basically all the traces of them were removed. Or they were called harlots and, you know, whores and prostitutes. So nobody look there because, you know, who wants to have anything to do with somebody like that, right? So what we have is just lots of lost, very often lost, oral tradition and Gnostic sources. And this comes for all esoteric traditions because I studied similar goddesses in Tantra as well. So most of these traditions are oral or esoteric which means it's, you have to belong to a particular group of people that 
probably out of necessity for um, secrecy, they had to keep it undercover, right? Because they didn't want to be prosecuted. Yeah. So it is absolutely possible. And even some uh, Catholic saints had visions of her, you know, in, in, in as such, you know, like as somebody who comes from Egypt and, you know, she was initiated to the Isis tradition. But actually, if, if you don't want, if you want, I can elaborate on this on a scholarly level. So it's not. Please, just, yeah, that, that's amazing. Some yeah. vision, some nice vision, which is, you know, our subconscious is wonderful, you know, and especially mystics, they can bring up stuff to awareness, you know, collective awareness that uh, that is important. But uh, when I was looking into this, I was thinking, okay, so what happened to Mary Magdalene after the death of Jesus or after the resurrection, right? After the crucifixion. And I came across a work of another scholar called John Taylor. And she just was not talking about Mary Magdalene, but she was just saying that there was this in uh, ancient Alexandria, first century, what a cool place to be, right? All the heretics, all the great minds, all conspiracy theorists, you know, lived in Alexandria, first century. That was where the library was until they burned it down, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And I thought, like, if I were Mary Magdalene, this, I would go there. But yeah. She, yeah, because, you know, because it was such a cool place, you know, that everybody who was, you know, a, a, a counter mainstream, so to speak, and bright, uh, you know, went there. So uh, she was just talking about completely something else, the scholar, but I made the connection. So that's why I'm giving her credit. So she was writing about this first century uh, famous philosopher Philo of Alexandria. You know, he lived in times of Jesus, contemporary of Jesus, great mind, Neoplatonist. And in his work, Vita Contemplativa, he says that in the region of Alexandria, there is a group of therapeutae, they call themselves therapeutae, which is a group of philosophers and healers associated with the temple of Isis, you know, and they were also associated with the Essenes in the Holy Land. So wow. now the Essenes are a Gnostic group, you know, and some people associate Jesus and John the Baptist with Essenes, you know, and, and so on. So I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. Not only this, this group of called Therapete that had a connection both with Isis and with the Essenes in the Holy Land, they allowed women to that group. You know, yeah. because they were really open-minded because before it was just, you know, men were allowed because women were not educated, you know, not allowed to get education and so on. So I thought this is a very interesting connection because Mary Magdalene, if there is a connection between Jesus and the Essenes, which is a Gnostic group, and we can later talk about Gnostics if you want, because, you know, for the Gnostics, Mary Magdalene was the most advanced disciple of Jesus and his partner as well. After the event of crucifixion she could have gone to alexandria right because there was this group of people who would have welcomed her who were connected also with the temple of isis and with the gnostic groups in the holy land right so that would be a perfect place for her to go not only this in some uh, interpretations of gospel of judas which is a gnostic gospel and so on uh, some people say that some scholars say that the reason why Judas actually couldn't stand Mary Magdalene, for example, it is not because she was a prostitute, but that there was something improper about her. 
And what some people believe that what was improper about her, it was that she was not a, a Jewish Orthodox for one reason, because in some sources it says that her father was an Egyptian who married a Jewish woman and converted to Judaism, but also kept he, his tra old tradition, you know, associated with ISIS and so on. So basically she was kind of like a, a, a hybrid, right? So to speak in this respect, she, she was not pure blood-wise, right? So, so this was part of the reason why, you know, there was some kind of impurity about her, which could be, you know, uh, ethnic impurity or something. So there's a, so it's a long answer to your question, but yes, there is a possibility, even in scholar, scholarly possibility, that either before or after she had a connection with the Temple of Isis. Now, let me ask you this. Do you follow the theory that she could have possibly been, it went as far as being the wife of Jesus and that there was a mm -hmm. bloodline? I mean, is, or is that, is, I mean, because I, I know that's, it's like, I don't know if it's proven or where would you go with that, with that theory? Mm -hmm. I am a little bit ambivalent about it, okay? So I will tell you again about my research and I respect everyone's research, but I think that, you know, sometimes we go too much in one direction and then get lost because it's a fun, you know, the bloodline, it's a great story, but I'm kind of, I will tell you why I'm not so cool about it, but possible, but I'm not so cool about it. First of all, okay. Uh, in the Gospel of Philip, which is a Gnostic Gospel, Mary Magdalene is called, um, uh, Mary Magdalene is called uh, Koinonos to Jesus, which means intimate partner. That does not mean a wife because there's a word for wife, but it doesn't mean a prostitute either. You know, it, it just means they were really close. <laughs> Okay, yeah. so this is what it means. They were really close. And in another Gnostic gospel, uh, disciples and Peter is always jealous of her because he, you know, thought I'm the first, what's going on here? The disciples ask Jesus all the time, uh, teacher, why do you love her more than us? And my answer to this is like, duh, you know, like, <laughs> why do you... <laughs> He loves her. He's more in love with her. He's, he's in love. Yeah, they have a relationship. That's why he loves her. Why do you kiss her? Okay, okay. <laughs> why do you kiss her? Well, he kisses her because, well, they are in a relationship. So there is this argument that because he probably was a rabbi, because, you know, he was a teacher, then he had to marry as a Jewish rabbi. So then they would have to be married. So it's quite possible that they were married if he was, you know, ordained rabbi, because in this tradition, you had to be married. You know what I mean? You couldn't be just a, like, a, a rabbi going on around without a wife. You had to be married. Yet we also have, have some uh, good evidence that he may might have, have been connected with other groups like the Essenes that didn't follow the rules. In fact, they left the, they left Jerusalem because they thought that the temple was completely corrupt, and and they started their own alternative communities in the desert. So they they maybe didn't marry. So just as an assumption that he had to marry is like it's it's not such a strong argument anymore, right? Because yeah. it doesn't take into consideration the Gnostic groups that very often were against actually procreation because they thought it's just you know more enslavement, you know, in the body and so on. Yeah, because the it, Gnostics were very advanced. They thought we were like living in the matrix, right? Yeah, that's right. They they, they were like the first, uh, yeah. The Wachowski, bro uh, Wachowski brothers or sisters now, right? Like they were just the first one. We said the Matrix is here, right? Like so. Yeah. So, so, uh, so I'm not so sure about this. 
And also from spiritual point of view, and I'm a serious spiritual seeker also, not just an academic, I don't see much value in the theory. And I, I am happy if somebody argues with me because I'm going to look into it in the future in a bloodline theory, because I think what is spiritually advantageous to have some bloodlines of kings or queens, how does it help my spiritual evolution? Do you see my question? Yeah. Just because there is some group of people that were somehow privileged by bloodlines, frankly, I consider it completely unfair. You know, I think that my spiritual practice, your spiritual practice, your search for truth, and I'm talking your and mine as, you know, collectively, yeah. is a pathway to our enlightenment, to our ascension, to our spiritual evolution. So how does it help anyone that there is some select group of people that they have something that nobody else has? Do you know what I... So, so, so yeah. how do we as humanity actually benefit from this? Unless we all get it. I had a you guest know? on before you and she kind of yeah. argued that point. She thought, she thinks that we like a large percentage of the population is possibly, you know, from the Jesus bloodline, but I don't see how that could be possible. Like, and then what I want to ask you is about, what about um, Sarah and Tomar? Is that, uh, that would, well, not, that, that was the supposedly his child, children's name. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So first of all, Margaret Starbert, who did fantastic work on, on Jesus and Mary Magdalene, and, 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 you know, and she opened my eyes to this whole possibility. However, I disagree with you on this, on this point. I'm taking it in a different direction because she said that Mary Magdalene was the bride, you know, that they were legally married. And then she gave a, went to France and she gave a, a birth to a child called Sarah. And this is what the Black Sarah is, you know. And it doesn't stick historically. Okay. And it doesn't stick mythologically. And I will tell you why. If there was a daughter, which perhaps there was, so according at least to a Templar tradition, what is recovered from Templar tradition, her name would be Tomar or Tamar, which is actually has biblical sources. Why it is not Sarah, that, uh, I believe, because there is a long-standing tradition of uh, gypsies, and they have a black Madonna, Right, that they still celebrate in southern France. They go on the 24th of May. There's a big celebration. All the gypsies from around the world still come, you know, and celebrate the Black Madonna, whose name is Sarah. She is not the daughter of Jesus and Mary Magdalene. They believe that she is the gypsy queen or gypsy shamanic leader who saw Mary Magdalene with her companions arriving in southern France 15 years after the event of crucifixion. And she had a vision that this important spiritual teacher is coming to France and she welcomed them at the shores uh, near Marseille, city in southern France. And her name is Sarah. So I think it's a little bit too much of coincidence, you know, and then in middle, mid, middle ages, it get all confused, you know, like Sarah, Mary Magdalene, maybe it's her daughter, but they said she's not the daughter of Mary Magdalene. She is, a, you know, a shaman or a queen who welcomed Mary Magdalene at the shores. However, there's a separate tradition that says that if there was a child and it, both traditions claim it would be a female child between Mary Magdalene and Jesus, her name would be Tomar on Tamar. Somehow Templar, who, you know, it's a long story, knew about it. And that's why one of the actually castles in Portugal is called Tomar, you know, in the name apparently of his uh, female descendant. 
of Jesus and Mary Magdalene. But my question once again is, why should we even care? So they had a child. So I'm happy that they had a good relationship, right? And that they had a child and so on. But I really, uh, I believe that they both were great spiritual teachers and that we should focus on their teachings, you know, and our own possibility as spiritual beings rather than on some yeah. weird theory that uh, they started some weird French dynasty or dynasty, you know, which is actually, frankly, didn't contribute much to anything. Why it is of any consequence, I, I, I'm, I could be completely wrong. I'm a scholar, so I'm open to different possibilities. But as, at the moment, what well, wait, I know... I'll just tell you, can I tell you why people think it's important? Because they think maybe possibly Jesus's lineage links back to Enki, who, you know... Mm -hmm. And Ninma, they, they think that Jesus could be uh, a descendant of Anki and Ninma, which would have been, you know, the creators of humanity. Which also means Jesus would have been a relative of Adam and Enoch, mm. which would have means he would have been a relative of Anki. That's how, that's how the tree would have went. And mm -hmm. th at the, so they think that bloodline goes the whole way back to the Anunnaki. That's why I think people think it's important. That That's the only reason okay. I can see. I, I, I don't know why else you know and and then okay. people want to find out if they're a part of that bloodline or if they could stay there for that bloodline this and they is... would be connected to the anunnaki see what i mean so yeah That's but that, I, thank you so that actually and actually reminds me of something else that i would like to share with you but this is my question so why are they so interested in bloodlines because very often they claim oh by the way i am the descendant of this and i think oh congratulations <laughs> you know what i mean so you're special yeah. you're special you know and one thing if you're on a spiritual path you should know you know you're not special we are all special yeah that's okay. once you feel you're special you're already on the wrong path you know what i mean and i'm being opinionated here right but we are all special right? yeah that's a good so point so, so if it just so often people believe in bloodlines because they believe, you know, and by the way, you know, I am that, you know, so, uh, so that's why I'm suspicious of it. I'm not against it. I'm kind of, mm, you know, I use my uh, kind of academic discernment here, but what you touched upon with Anunnaki and Jesus is very interesting because when I was investigating these goddesses very shyly in the other goddess, in my book, the other goddess, I kind of ask a question shyly because I thought I don't want people to think I'm crazy, right? Who are these goddesses, right? <laughs> Who are these goddesses? So I said, oh, maybe there are three possibilities. One is that perhaps this is like some form of consciousness that emerges in us collectively, you know, because there's more and more talk about it. So it's not a coincidence, you know, something in human consciousness wants to bring them back. Like there is some missing knowledge, and I think we all know. We are waking up to the fact that, yes, it is some kind of crazy matrix, right? And at the same time, there is this new knowledge that is popping up that was what I call in the book hijacked, right? Hijacked. Yeah. So maybe it's something in our consciousness. Next one is maybe it is the same entity resurrecting herself over and over again. The same like maybe Jesus resurrected himself over and over again under different names, which is kind of Eastern influence. You know, if you believe in the reincarnation, which I personally do. I there was a training. guy that I followed much. His name was Gerald Clark, and he believed that Ninma was Isis. And I believe he believed Isis yeah. was Mary Magdalene. So he, and yeah. I, I very well respected him. And so 
he would he kind of would agree if he was alive he passed away but he would agree with your your uh he wrote a couple books on the Anunnaki and stuff so he would agree with your your take on that and i i i personally would agree too i i think that's and i think jesus could have been adam or enoch or and i think jesus could have also been thoth you know or, or also he could have been quetzalcoatl uh, Melchizedek, you know, same, same thing. That's right. So it could be that there's the same entity resurrecting them. I was looking only at goddesses here, but let's say herself, but you know, uh, the same would be with Jesus because they are always coming in pairs, right? So, yeah. so the same would be true of Jesus. And strangely enough, recently I had a conversation with Professor Kripal from Rice University in Texas. And, you know, and he's fantastic about this kind of things. And, and I said, do you think I'm crazy? You know, because I said that, you know, in my book, very shyly, just, you know, you have to really look for it there. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that it could be some kind of entity, a biological entity that resurrects its, herself and so on. And he said, no. Actually, you know, people have lots of experiences because he's looking to spiritual experiences and supernatural experiences and alien abductions and so on. And he says, no, actually, you're not crazy. You know, like it is quite possible. And the third uh, thing that I'm looking into the book, when I shyly, you know, say what is the third possibility, it is that perhaps there are some kind of, I said, alien entities that keep coming back, not necessarily resurrecting biologically, but keep coming back. Now, I would also add that I start to believe more and more into interdimensional beings. Yes. You know, and including with aliens. I think I think also Diana Pasuka, I'm sure you're aware of her famous book, The American American Cosmic, right? Yes, yes. It's amazing. Her. Yeah, I love that. I love her. And by the way, she, you know, she wrote me a great endorsement. So I'm just, I'm so honored. Wow. So anyway. So, yeah, for, for my book. So so I think that there could be some interdimensional entities, which is my, I think, strongest theory at the moment, that popping up, you know, and telling us, you know, and they often, uh, this kind of entities often communicate in symbolic ways, you know, either tele telepathically or symbolically, you know, with these different symbols telling us, popping up in our consciousness, that there's another form of knowledge, that there's another way of looking at things, that there's another way of liberation, there's another form of consciousness that we neglected. So uh, so very shyly, I do mention it in my book because, you know, we can talk about goddesses, but I don't believe in just myths. Myths is a history of our consciousness. Yeah. And it is more than an, an eye consciousness. You know, we can communicate with different beings as well through eye consciousness. It's just not some kind of cloud around your head, right? Consciousness. <laughs> so I think that it's quite possible that some uh, advanced entities try to communicate with us, you know? But I say I, I'm very shy about it in my book because, you know, I didn't want to... Because uh, you want to you be taken seriously for your research, yeah, right? Yeah. And you don't... Yeah, and that's it's, right. It's 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 a touchy subject because it's not mm -hmm. we can't prove it right but it sounds mm -hmm. it sounds reasonable and I'll be honest with you it does now let me ask you this like how does sexual alchemy and eros um, I mean besides the fact that a lot of these goddesses were you know the, uh, sexual in nature but like mm -hmm. can you talk about how that part of it fits into your book because I think that's really interesting as well okay thank you so um, 
I'm thinking where I'm, I, I can start with. So first of all, it started at the same point, you know, when I started to be fascinated with Mary Magdalene, because there's clearly some sexual and erotic aspect there to the story, right? So at the beginning, I couldn't find it, uh, you know, could, didn't know how to approach it. And, and, and I started to look at the esoteric traditions of, uh, of India, right? So I started to be interested in esoteric Tantra. In my case, it was, uh, I studied Kashmir Shaivism as a form of esoteric Tantra. And there, there's a long-standing oral tradition of first yoginis or dakinis, which is basically female women, women, but also female entities, you know, because they also claim to move between different dimensions. That's why sometimes people actually feared them because, you know, they, they were powerful entities. Yeah. And that they use and taught sexuality as a tool for expansion of human consciousness to get to this higher magic, to get to this like cosmic matrix or the divine mind, so to speak. And I thought, okay, so that's very interesting. But it was an oral tradition. And apparently it was started by a, by a woman called Arda Triambaka. Who was a who was a daughter of a famous sage, you know, but from mythological times, right? And then I thought, okay, is this just an oral tradition? But in the 10th century India, there was a famous philosopher, and now it's historical, right? It's not mythology, it's historical, called Abhinava Gupta, who wrote a fame, he was a, like Einstein of his age, okay? He, he want, uh, wrote a mm, great book called Tantra Loka, or the light of on tantras and in chapter 29 he describes what i call sexual alchemy in my book but basically sexual rituals for expansion of human consciousness so we can walk like gods and goddesses on earth this is what he says i'm quoting uh, quoting him here and one you know once we know how to do this we walk like gods and goddesses on earth because our consciousness erupts you know i call it erotic erotic rapture you know like erupts right so it opens up we crack open you know from the limitations of the matrix so to speak so it's chapter 29 of tantra loka however it is very encoded you know because it had to be secret and i spent a year and a half studying it with a sanskrit scholar you know and a swami and a buddhist monk you know to to simplify it a little bit, and I, parts of it are in my book as well. But basically, sexual alchemy is this, the use of sexual energy for the expansion of human consciousness, but so you're one with God. You become God, basically. Can I, can I, can I, can I, can I tell you something? I want to get your opinion on something. Like, and this is for, mm -hmm. this is the male side that I've heard. I, I follow this anthropologist. His name's Robert Seffer. He's a, He's a brilliant anthropologist and he's mm -hmm. talked about like for men's this is kind of like a sexual alchemy i want to get your thoughts on it for men um i'm going to say this in the most uh uh mm -hmm. the, the best way possible like so it doesn't sound weird um men go have, have sex until for a long and they build it up and they build it up and they build it up but they don't copulate you know and mm -hmm. and then he said that turns you you do that and it turns into you turn that uh into um consciousness energy like and and, and there's an asian guy who says that like when you uh do this when you do this semen retention you can speak with god have you ever heard of this and like yes uh, 
Yes. So first of all, that's a very good point. So first of all, there are many tantric traditions. That's why that I'm, that one I'm talking about is probably most radical. But yes, there is a tantric method that especially for a man, from a man's point of view, that if you can retain your semen and you can, there is a, a very kind of disciplined way of doing it so that actually you, you hold on to this energy and then it basically blows your mind, right? And, and you want with God. So that's one way of doing it, which is more aesthetic way of doing it. This way was, I think, partially adopted in by Chinese and Tibetan, by Chinese Tantra, which is, you know, the more Taoist Tantra, which basically talks a lot about... Uh, retaining of semen, but they have a completely different purpose. Can I tell your listeners and viewers? Yes, the yes. purpose of this Taoist Tantra is to prolong your longevity, which is a very Chinese concept. What means, you know, because it's a life force. You know, sex is a life force. It's an atomic bomb in your body, okay? So it's a tool. So they want to revert this tool for the purpose of, you know, so you can live, I don't know, 200 years. If you're interested, you can try this. But this is not <laughs> what this tradition of goddesses from Arda Triambaka talks about. They are talking, with, so it's a different branch of this tradition, which is more women-oriented in a way, but it's both for women and men. Yeah. They are not interested in living 200 years. They are interested in walking like gods and goddesses on earth and having a mind-blowing experience by using sexuality as a tool so you have a complete experience of divine consciousness. So there is no retention. So in chapter 29, and I write about it in The Other Goddess, you, there, you can use oral sex, you can have a retention of semen, you can have regular copulation, because the point of view is, the goal, not point of view, is that you have the experience of this erotic rapture that opens your limitations in your mind. So this is the purpose. And if this is the purpose, which is actually ritualistic purpose, right? So you just, it's just like you use, and they, in, in, in chapter 29, Abhinava Gupta says, you know, you use this and this is like this part of a ritual in a temple, you know, and, and this and this is like the other ritual in the temple. So basically you honor your bodies, you, you, you say certain mantras, you use, you know, fragrant oils and you have a, you know, full sexual, sometimes it's just oral, sometimes the full sexual uh, engagement. But the goal is expansion of consciousness, mind blowing expansion of consciousness not uh, not longevity right yeah and so, so this is a different there are different types of tantra so this tantra is like a outrageous maybe part of tantra but it also says i want to be one with god and i can use sexuality to get there that's amazing that's amazing yeah. so it's, it's a different completely different concept than others huh yeah yeah um i, I just I, I love i love this um it all fits in. Now, let me see. I'm going to ask you, um, uh, how does the, uh, the, the, uh, the, this last question I have for you, the Christos Sophia document, like, which can you explain to the audience why that's really important? I thought that was important. I, I should have asked you about that earlier because it didn't transition right. But I mean, I still wanted to ask you about it, but it's a Gnostic document. I think it's a really mm -hmm. important document. Um, can you talk about it? Pistis, Pistis Sophia, right? Yes. This is Sophia. 
So Pistis Sophia is one of the Gnostic uh, documents in which, you know, Mary Magdalene is portrayed as the leading disciple of Jesus or the favorite disciple of Jesus. Because in Pistis Sophia, and it's a very esoteric document, you know, very mystical document. It's actually about moving about different from different dimensions, you know, flying uh, through different levels of reality, which is also actually similar to some tantric teachings and so on like different in Tantra, it's called Tatva, so like levels of reality from different, through different portals. And uh, the disciples ask Jesus questions. There are 42 questions that disciples ask Jesus and 39 of them are asked by Mary Magdalene. So it kind of, for me, shows that she was a prominent disciple. And in this document also, Peter again says, why do you even bother talking to this woman? Can she just shut up? And Jesus says, no, Peter, leave her alone because she's infused with the spirit. Because Gnostics, many Gnostics believed that Jesus gave three levels of teachings. One to the simple people around the Lake of Galilee, you know, the parables from the Bibles. Second one to his disciples. And the third and most advanced teachings and most intimate teachings, I would argue, with Mary Magdalene. That's amazing. That's amazing. So, So this is... So, and, and in many Gnostic documents, the theme repeats itself over and over again, the struggle between Peter and Mary Magdalene, and actually Peter, who is really annoyed, right, about her prominence in Jesus's life, and, and, and Jesus te- constantly telling him off, leave her alone, because she's special, you know, yeah. spiritually special. And, and just... Mm-hmm. Sorry, go ahead, go ahead. And just to let you know, just to kind of bind it together with uh, chapter 29 of Tantra Loka, in this uh, particular tantric teaching, it is believed that uh, for this particular experience, a man needs a woman because they use female sexual energy to get there, you know, to get this mind-blowing experience. So basically a woman, it's called that a woman is like a ladder. Woman's sexuality is like a ladder because it's a powerful tool. And the woman starts to have a powerful movement of energy, of kundalini energy, right? Which is, uh, we can discuss it maybe some other time. And this energy spills on her partner and he starts to have this. So it's this experience as well. So the, so the kundalini, we can talk about this now. I, I'd, love to, I'd love to address it real quick. The, the kundalini can actually be achieved through sex is what you're saying, which is like yes. interesting because I feel like I've had a kundalini experience normally just like meditating you know what i mean yeah um, I, I felt the energy go up my back you know um i can't say for sure if i did you know i, I just uh, i meditated a lot so i you know i was trying to have out of body experiences so um you know I, who knows but i mean this is a mind-blowing thing um you know um but i think you have to have a partner who's um spiritually as an inept as you because um, for right. me, most of the That's girls right. i date I'll just take this on a, on a, you know, on my level, yeah. most of the girls I date aren't like spirituality like me. They're, they, uh, you know, I, so I would have to find the right partner for this to work for me. Like, you know, I, it has to be a match, right? It has to be a match. And that's why Abhinava Gupta in chapter 29 says that, you know, it is not actually, so it's different again from Western Tantra when people just do it, you know, to improve our sexual life, which I get it, you know, nothing wrong with it. He's, it's basically, the the two disciples, one female and one male, are chosen by advanced guru, so they are ready for this experience. So for them, it is not about being girlfriend and a boyfriend. 
It's not about attachment. It's not about emotional baggage that comes with it, but about this is what we want to accomplish through this. Yeah, it's a mission. Erotic rapture that connects me with the mind of God, basically, with the divine yeah. mind. So it's not for everybody in a, in this sense, and that's why perhaps it is secretive. Having said so, many people did have an experience like that spontaneously. You know? Wow. So is, I had this, and I describe it in my book, I had this experience. However, I was already initiated and I studied the text for a year and a half of complete devotion. So it may have to do something with it as well, right? Yes. But But I can, I am a living testimony that this kind of experience can happen. And I wow. just want to be really honest with this. And I describe it in my book. I want to be really honest with this, but I'm not a tantric teacher. Therefore, I don't know how to repeat it. However, I studied, I was in, uh, initiated, and I had this experience. That's and amazing. It is my, and it is, and you feel Kundalini energy waking up at the bottom of your spine. It is moving. You know, first it erupts in your heart, then it erupts in your stops at the last moment in your forehead, and then it erupts in your forehead, and that's it. The reality stops to be real. You see just particles of energy around yourself. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, like, so you like, actually there's, see no, them. there's no physical world anymore. So it's not only like, oh, I'm feeling really nice. You just your perception is completely uh, changed. It's just you you see you're like in some kind of quantum place. This is where it takes you. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's a mind that I guess that's a good place to stop off for today. I'd love to have you back on again because you have some mind blowing information. This is I'm so glad we decided to do this because this was amazing. This was hands down amazing. So thank you so much. And if you want to tell the audience where they can find the book, where they can find your website and all that good stuff. Okay, thank you. If you're interested because in this, because I, I write it in my book, The Other Goddess, Mary Magdalene and the Goddesses of Eros and Secret Knowledge. And I think the best place is Amazon, you know, for better or worse, because, you know, it is international. So it's The Other Goddess. And my website is basically Joanna Kuyava, which is J-O-A-N-N-A-K-U-J-A-W-A.com and The Other Goddess. So that's the simplified title of the book. Uh, well, thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. And and thank you because, uh, you know, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I really love when I can talk to someone about the ancient texts. And, and you bring them so much more. You bring, it's so much more than ancient texts. You really, I just, you really, you really were on fire the whole time. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Have a good night or day. It's day there where you're at. So. Yeah. All right. <laughs> it's a day where I am, yes. All right. Have a good one.